Number one, sir. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. This morning. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I should have further such meetings later today. Mr Peter Dowd. Mr Speaker, can I take the opportunity to wish you and all members of the House a uh, Merry Christmas yeah. and a Happy New Year? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, in, in, the light, in, the light of the, in the light of the Foreign Secretary's display of chronic foot and mouth disease, when deciding on Cabinet positions, does the Prime Minister now regret that pencilling FO against his name should have been an instruction, not a job offer. <laughs> Mr. Oh, there's far too much noise in the chamber. We've heard the question, but I want to hear the Prime Minister's answer. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. First of all, I join the honourable gentleman in wishing everybody a happy Christmas. I will, have, I will, of course, have an opportunity to do that again on Monday, when I'm sure the House will be as full for the statement on the European Council meeting. Yeah. Funny, it seems to come from this side, yes, but not from the, uh, not from the Labour side. And I have to say that the Foreign Secretary is doing an absolutely excellent job. short an FFS, a fine foreign secretary. Amanda Milling! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Gravely has a really bright future ahead. I want to hear the voice of Cannock Chase. Thank you, Mr Speaker, again. Gravely has a really bright future ahead, but only if we're ambitious, bold and visionary in our redevelopment plans. Will my right honourable friend outline how the government's industrial strategy can create the conditions which will help us build a sustainable local economy and highly skilled jobs for future generations? My honourable friend is absolutely right that communities across this country have a bright head a bright future ahead of them. Uh, but we need to ensure that we create the conditions for that future. That's why we will be producing a modern industrial strategy that will show how we can encourage uh, the strategic strengths of the United Kingdom, uh, deal with our underlying weaknesses. It will enable companies to grow, to invest in the UK, to provide those jobs for the future. But we also need to make sure that that prosperity is spread across the whole of the United Kingdom and is prosperity for everyone. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Could I, could I start by wishing yourself, Mr. Speaker, and all members of the House and everyone who works in the House a very happy Christmas and a prosperous New Year? Sadly, Mr. Speaker, our late colleague Jo Cox will not be celebrating Christmas this year with her family. She was murdered and taken from us. So I hope the Prime Minister, and I'm sure she will, join me in encouraging people to download the song, download the song which many members helped to create, as a tribute to Joe's life and work and in everlasting memory of her. Yeah. 
Oh, the, the right honourable gentleman is absolutely right to raise this issue. I'm sure everybody in this House, we should send a very clear message, download this signal, this si uh, single for the Joe Cox Foundation. It's a very important cause. Um, we all recognise that Joe Cox was a fine member of this House and would have carried on contributing significantly to this House and to this country had she not been brutally murdered. Um, it's right. I think the Chancellor's waving the VAT on this uh, single. I think everybody involved in it has, uh, in fact, gave their services for free. I'm having a photograph with MP4 later this afternoon. And, 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 and once again, once again, let's just encourage everybody to download this single. The Minister was, of course, referring, for the benefit of those observing our proceedings outside to the outstanding parliamentary rock band MP4. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I applaud the work of MP4, but uh, for the benefit of their quality, I'm not a member of it. <laughs> uh, I thank the Prime Minister for that answer, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, social care is crucial. It provides support for people to live with dignity. Yet, Age UK research has found that 1.2 million older people are currently not receiving the care that they need. Will the Prime Minister accept there is a crisis in social care? I've uh, consistently said in this House that we recognise the pressures that there are on social care. So it might be helpful if I actually set out what the Government is doing and the position in relation to social care. So I say we recognise those pressures. That's why the Government is putting more money into social care through the Better Care Fund. And by the end of this Parliament, that will be billions of pounds extra. It's why we have enabled the social care precept uh, for local authorities. Um, we recognise that there are immediate pressures on social care. Uh, that's why this will be addressed by my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, in the Local Government Finance Settlement tomorrow. But we also recognise that this is not just about money. It is about delivery. There is a difference in delivery across the country. We need to make sure that reform is taking place so we see best practice uh, in terms of integration of health and social care across the country. But we also need to ensure that we have a longer-term solution to uh, uh, give people the reassurance for the future that there is a sustainable system that will ensure that they are receiving the social care that they need in old age. And that is what the government is working on. There's a short-term issue, there's a medium-term need to make sure local authorities and health service are delivering consistently, and there's a long-term solution that we need to find. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the Care Quality Commission has warned as recently as October that evidence suggests we have approached a tipping point. So instead of passing the buck on to local government, shouldn't the government take responsibility itself for the crisis? Could the Prime Minister take this opportunity to inform the House exactly how much was cut from the social care budget in the last Parliament? We have uh, been putting more money into social care and health. Well, we have been putting more money into social care and health. As I say, we recognise the pressures that exist. That's why we will be looking at the short-term. We are looking at the short-term pressures that exist in relation to social care. But you cannot look at this question as simply being an issue of money in the short term. It is about delivery. It is about reform. It is about the social care system working with the health uh, with the health system. That's why this is an issue that is being addressed not just by the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, but also the Secretary of State for Health. 
But if we are going to give people the reassurance that they need in the longer term that their social care needs will be met, this is not just about looking for a short-term solution. It is about finding a way forward that can give a sustainable system of social care for the future. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister does not seem to be aware that £4.6 billion was cut from the social care budget in the last Parliament. And that her talk of putting it on to local governments ought to be taken for what it is, a con. 2% of council tax is clearly a nonsense. 95% of councils use this social care precept and it raised less than 3% of the money they plan to spend on adult social care. Billions seem to be available for tax giveaways to corporations, not mentioned in the autumn statement, underfunded, and many elderly people left isolated and in crisis because of the lack of government's funding of social care. We see, we see many councils around the, uh, the country that have taken the benefit of the social care precept and have, as a result, actually seen more people being able to access social care and needs being met. Sadly, there are also some councils across the country, some Labour councils, who haven't taken that opportunity, where we do see uh, a worse performance in relation to social care. But the Right Honourable Gentleman once again refers to the issue of money. I might remind him that at the last election, the then Shadow Chancellor said uh, that if Labour were in government, there would be not a penny more for local authorities. And also, that when recently asked about... uh, When recently asked about spending more money on social care, the Labour's Shadow Health Secretary said, uh, when he was asked where the money would come from, he said, oh, well, we're going to have to come up with a plan for that. (laughs) Mr Speaker, this government government has cut social care, and she well knows it, and she well knows the effects of that. She also well knows that raising council tax has a different outcome in different parts of the country. For example, if you raise the council tax in Windsor and Maidenhead, you get quite a lot of money. If you raise the council tax precept in Liverpool or Newcastle, you get a lot less. Is she saying that older people, frail elderly, vulnerable people, are less valuable in our big cities than they are in wealthier parts of the country? Mr Speaker, this crisis is a crisis for many elderly people who are living in a very difficult situation because of this. It's also a crisis for the National Health Service. Those people who are in hospital cannot be discharged because there's nowhere for them to go to. So I'll ask her again. The crisis affects individuals, it affects families, and it affects the National Health Service. So why doesn't she do something really bold? Cancel the corporation tax cut and put the money into social care instead. Well, the Right Honourable Gentleman has quoted Newcastle Council in the list that he set there. I have to say Newcastle Council is one of the councils where we saw in September virtually no delayed discharges. So elderly people were not being held up in hospital when they didn't need to be and when they didn't want to be. So what this shows is that it is possible for councils to deliver on the ground. So you see councils like Newcastle and Torbay doing that. Then you see councils like Ealing not using the social care precept 
and a, and a different result. The difference between the worst performing council in relation to delayed discharges and the best is a 20-fold difference. That's not about the difference of funding. It's about the difference of delivery. Mr Speaker, councils work very hard to try to cope with a 40% cut in their budgets across the whole country. And the people who pay the price are those who are stuck in hospital who should be allowed to go home and those that aren't getting the care and support they need. This is a social care system that's deep in crisis. The crisis is made in Downing Street by this government. The former chair of the Health Select Committee, Stephen Dorrell, says the system is inadequately funded. The current chair of the Health Select Committee, and I quote, says the issue can't be ducked any longer because the impact it's having not just on vulnerable people but also on the NHS. Why can't the Prime Minister listen to those in local government, to the King's Fund, the NHS Confederation, her own council leaders, and recognise this social care crisis? forces people to give up work to care for loved ones because there isn't a system to do it, makes people stay in hospital longer than they should and leads people into a horrible, isolated life when they should be cared for by all of us through a properly funded social care system. Get a grip and fund it properly, please. The issue of social care is indeed one that has been ducked by governments for too long. That is why it is this government, it is this government that will provide a long-term sustainable system for social care that gives reassurance to people. But when he talks about, when he talks about governments ducking social care, let's look about 13 years of labour in government. In 1997, they said they'd sought it in their manifesto. They had a Royal Commission in 1999, a Green Paper in 2005, the One List Report in 2006. In 2007, in the CSR, they said they'd sought it. In 2009, they had another Green Paper. 13 years and no action whatsoever. Mr Speaker, today a constituent of mine from Shoreham will struggle to get to University College Hospital London for life-saving cancer drug trials. Across Sussex, thousands of others will be unable to get to work, to school, to college because ASLEF object to their drivers on Southern operating the doors. Yet today, ASLEF drivers will be driving Thameslink trains on the same rails operating the doors on the London to Brighton line. Can the Prime Minister give her assurance that everything will be done at the ACAS talks today to end this nonsense of a yeah, strike, yeah. address yeah. any residual safety issues and give our constituents Corbyn's their lives right. back. Yeah. My honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this issue. This is an appalling strike. He's right to, to raise the discrepancy in attitude of ASLEF. We've seen driver-only operated trains on rail networks in the UK for decades. They are on the Thames Link train. I hope that the talks I hope that the talks at ACAS are going to lead to an end to this strike. But actually, I've got a suggestion for the Leader of the Opposition. I think think the Leader of the Opposition could do something to help members of the public. The Labour Party is funded by ASLEF. Why doesn't he get on the phone and tell them to call the strike off immediately?
Mr. Speaker, we join with the leader of the Labour Party and with the Prime Minister in wishing great success to the Joe Cox single that's available for download on Friday. We're sure we're all going to download it. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, civilians have suffered grievously with the bombing of hospitals, of schools, of markets. The United Nations believes that 60% of civilian casualties are caused by airstrikes. In the last 24 hours, the United States has stopped the supply of precision-guided munitions to Saudi Arabia to bomb Yemen. When will the UK follow suit? Uh, the, as the Right Honourable Gentleman knows, we do have a very strict regime of export licences in relation to, uh, to weapons here in the United Kingdom. We exercise that very carefully, and in uh, recent years, we have indeed refused export licences uh, in relation to, uh, to arms, including to Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Strangers Robertson, US Government uh, has just said that, and I quote, Systematic endemic problems in Saudi Arabia's targeting drove the US decision to halt a future weapon sale involving precision-guided musicians. The Saudis have UK-supplied precision-guided Paveway 4 missiles. They're made in Scotland. The UK has licensed £3.3 billion worth of arms to Saudi Arabia since the beginning of the bombing campaign. What will it take for the UK to adopt an ethical foreign policy when it comes to Yemen. Well, as the Right Honourable Gentleman knows, the intervention in, uh, UN is, in uh, Yemen is a UN-backed intervention. Uh, as I've said previously, where there are allegations of breaches of international humanitarian law, then we require those to be properly investigated. Uh, we do have uh, a relationship with Saudi Arabia. Uh, the security of the Gulf is important to us. And I would simply also remind the Right Honourable Gentleman that actually uh, Saudi intelligence, the uh, counter-terrorism links we have with Saudi Arabia, the intelligence we get from Saudi Arabia has saved potentially hundreds of lives here in the UK. To Sarah Wollaston. Mr Speaker, one of my constituents has just had to move to residential care because no carers could be found to support her in her own home. She's at the sharp end of a crisis in social care that is as much about inadequate funding as it is about a shortfall in our very valued social care workforce. Um, I'm looking forward to the, um, the hearing what to immediate further support will be provided for social care, but isn't it time that rather than having confrontational dialogues about social care funding, yes, that all parties yes. work together yeah. across yeah. this House Absolutely. to look for a sustainable long-term solution for funding of both integrated health and social care? Yeah. 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 My, my honourable friend is right to raise the issue of looking at a sustainable way in which we can support um, integrated health and social care and a sustainable way for people to know that in the future they're going to be able to have the social care that they require. As I said earlier in response to the Leader of the Opposition, we recognise the short-term pressures that there are on the system, but I think it is important for us to look at those medium and longer-term solutions if we're going to be able to address this issue, and I was very pleased to be able to have a meeting with my honourable friend to discuss this uh, uh, last week, and I look forward to further such meetings. Mark Durkin. Uh, can I tell the Prime Minister that a cross-party delegation led by the Right Honourable Member for Conan Valley will meet the Russian Ambassador tomorrow morning on Aleppo, and we will reflect and amplify precisely the sort of terms that she and the Foreign Secretary have used about Russia, the Assad regime uh, and Iran. 
not least because we want to protect those who have heroically struggled to save lives in that city, who are now going to be at particular risk because of the witness they can give. But does she accept that many of us believe that those sort of messages are more cogent when we are equally unequivocal about the primacy of human rights and international humanitarian law when we meet the Gulf states? We do raise the issues of, uh, of human rights when we meet the Gulf states, but he's absolutely right uh, in relation to the role that Russia is playing in Syria. And there's a very simple message to President Putin. He has it within his, uh, his own uh, hands to be able to actually say to the Assad regime that enough is enough in Aleppo. We need to ensure that humanitarian aid is there for people and that the people who have, as the Honourable Gentleman says, been heroically saving the lives of others uh, ensure that they have their security ensured. I, I'm sure that's a message he and others will be giving to the Russian ambassador. It's in President Putin's hands. He can do it. Why doesn't he? Victoria yeah. Prentice. On the same yeah. subject, Mr. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister join me in thanking the many members on all sides of this House who sung for Syrians last night in St Margaret's Westminster? Singing for Syrians was created in order to pay the salaries of the medical staff in Aleppo. Since our hospital was shut two weeks ago, was bombed two weeks ago, we have been buying prosthetic limbs with all of our money. We have a waiting list of 30,000 people. What can we do to target our humanitarian aid to make sure it gets to the most vulnerable people in Syria, the old, the very young, and people who are too injured to move? Well, first of all, I absolutely join my honourable friend in congratulating everyone who took part in singing Syrians. I'm sure the whole House would uh, welcome the work that that group is doing and the money that is being put to extremely good use that is is being raised. Um, And she raises, I think the House was struck by the number of people that she uh, referred to being on the waiting list for prosthetic limbs. Of course, in terms of our humanitarian support, aid support for Syria, um, this is the biggest humanitarian effort that the United Kingdom has uh, has made. Um, of course, we are uh, giving money to the refugees who have fled from uh, Syria. Uh, we're also, of course, working diplomatically to try and reduce the suffering, to try and make sure that we can see the sort of aid and medical support that she is talking about getting through to the citizens of uh, of Aleppo. But we will continue to ensure that our humanitarian aid is being put to good use helping those who are vulnerable, but also helping those who need the education and support to be able in due course to rebuild Syria when we see a stable and secure Syria. Nick Smith. Mr Speaker, rip-off interest rates on household goods are wrong. Companies like Bright House exploit families who have no other way to furnish their homes. So will the Prime Minister look at capping these interest rates to help those who are just about managing. Well, the Honourable Gentleman raises an important issue, and I recognise that there are many people who are just about managing, who are struggling to get by, who do find themselves uh, actually uh, having to revert to support from companies who do, uh, sadly, as we see, charge the sort of interest rates he's talking about. Of course, action has been taken uh, in relation to some of these uh, activities in the, uh, in the past, but I will look at the issue that he raised. Ellen Waitley. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Across the country, and particularly in Kent, lorry fly parking is a blight. It's antisocial and dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, support my campaign 
for more lorry parking spaces, more effective enforcement and ultimately a ban on lorries parking in unauthorised places. Well, I recognise the concern my honourable friend has raised. This is one I think that is shared by many Kent MPs who see this problem only too closely in their own constituencies. Uh, Can I assure her that the government shares the desire to ensure that we don't see this uh, this fly parking of lorries uh, across Kent, that we do provide suitable lorry lorry parking facilities in Kent? I know that my right honourable friend, the Minister for Roads, is looking at this issue uh, very carefully indeed. I recognise it from my time as the Home Secretary, the pressure at particular times that can be put uh, on the roads and villages and towns in Kent in relation to this. It's something that government is, uh, is working on and we will find a solution. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Now we know, courtesy of the government's own infrastructure watchdog, that mobile coverage in the UK is worse than Romania. Will the Prime Minister take steps to introduce a universal service obligation in the Highlands? It is fairly typical to get the message, no signal. It would be often better to use carrier pigeons. Will the Prime Minister recognise this is not acceptable and will she take responsibility? It's time to connect the Highlands to the rest of the world. Well, I can assure the, I can assure the, uh, the Honourable Gentleman that the issue of uh, decent mobile coverage uh, isn't one that only affects the Highlands. I'm afraid there are some other parts of England, Wales and Northern Ireland that also get affected, get affected by it. But, but the, the, the Government has very strong commitments in relation to this. We have very strong commitments in relation to broadband. And my right honourable friend, the Culture Secretary, will be delivering on those. Anna Subri. Mr Speaker, money cannot compensate somebody who's been charged with a very, sorry, who has been accused of a very serious criminal offence and then finds the details of that are in the press along with their name. Nothing can restore in truth their reputation after it's been trashed in those circumstances. In 2011, I tried to change the law in a private member's bill. Today, Sir Bernard Hogan Howe said it was now the time to introduce new legislation. Would the Prime Minister agree to at least consider changing the law so that everyone, with a few exceptions, should have a right to anonymity if they are a suspect in criminal proceedings until such time as they are charged. I recognise I recognise the interest that my honourable friend has taken in this particular issue, and as she will know, it is one that has been debated on a number of occasions in this House. Uh, it is the general assumption is that people should not somebody should not be named before the point of charge. But there is a, a um, an allowance for the police to be able to raise somebody's name if it is a case where they believe that doing that will help perhaps to find uh, other victims coming forward. This has been particularly of concern where it's matters of sexual violence, of rape for example, or where they believe that actually the naming of the individual will help in the detection of the, uh, of the crime. Uh, but this is a delicate issue. I recognise the concern my honourable friend has shown. The College of Policing is looking at this issue very carefully. They are due to provide new guidance to the police uh, in the new year on this issue in relation to, to the media. Lucy Powell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The heartbreaking humanitarian crisis and genocide in Syria continues to take place as the world watches on impotently, yet there is still no end in sight. Does the Prime Minister agree with the Right Honourable Member for Tatton 
that what is happening in Syria is a failure of Western leadership? And does she agree with me that what is now urgently required is what our dear friend Joe Cox called for nearly a year ago, and that is a UK-led strategy to protect civilians, whether it's those fleeing persecution, whether it is those surrendering themselves, or those that are still besieged? We must all take responsibility for decisions that we have taken, whether we take those decisions sitting around the National Security Council table or indeed this House in taking a decision that it did in 2013. Uh, the the Honourable Lady raises the question of a UK-led uh, action in relation to the protection of civilians. It is the UK that has been pressing for action inside the United Nations Security Council, uh, working with the French. The two most recent emergency UN Security Council meetings were those that we called for. The most recent of those took place yesterday. As I'm sure the Honourable Lady will know, there have been six UN Security Council resolutions which have been vetoed by Russia. The most recent also vetoed, vetoed by China. We are are continuing to work uh, with the United Nations, but if we're to get a solution that works on the ground, then it has to be a solution that is actually bought into by other countries, and it has to be a solution that Russia is going to buy into as well as the, the uh, regime. Robert Jenrick. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I've received a message from Nick from Grantham. Actually, it was a text message from our honourable friend, the member for Grantham and Stamford. For the avoidance of doubt, this is one text message that he's willing to be read in public. Uh, Mr Speaker, other than getting rid of his tumour and making a swift return to this place, nothing matters more to my honourable friend than ensuring that, round the clock, emergency services are restored to his local hospital in Grantham. So will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, receive the petition that he's organised, ensure that the passionate views of his constituents are heard, and above all, reassure people in this rural area that they will always have access to safe emergency care for them and their families. Well, can I, can I first of all, I'm sure that the thoughts of the whole House are with uh, our honourable friend, the member for Grantham and Stamford, and can I wish him the very best for his recovery as he goes through this, uh, this illness. Um, and I recognise the strength of feeling that he has about uh, the emergency services in his local hospital. Uh, I believe that there are also uh, the concerns that are uh, shared by our new honourable friend, the member for Sleaford and North Highcombe. And I can assure the hon my honourable friend, the member for Grantham and Stamford, that the process that is taking place in looking for, at the development of local services is about listening to local people, it is about hearing the local voice, and above all, it's in about ensuring that the services that are available to people in their local area are the right services for those areas, and that can be delivered safely and securely for local people. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. At the last election, the Conservative Party manifesto said, we will help local authorities keep council tax low for hard-working taxpayers and ensure residents can continue to veto high rises. 
Band D council taxpayers in Ellesmere Port and Neston now face paying an extra £125 a year really. with no veto because of the government's failure to tackle the social care crisis. Right. So will the Prime Minister right. now admit her party's pledge on council tax has been abandoned? That's right. No, I have to say, obviously we have put the social care precept in place in recognition of the pressures on social care, but I'm very pleased to say that we've seen many examples over the, uh, over the country of good local authorities actually ensuring that they were keeping council tax down, including, I may say, the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead, which cut council tax, I think, for six years running. Yeah. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, on the 14th of August, my constituents, George Lowe and Ben Barker, were the victims of a vicious knife attack in Ionapa. George Lowe sadly died later that day from his injuries. The two culprits then fled to northern Cyprus, where they were actually arrested on unrelated matters. Despite representations made by the Foreign Office, one of these men was recently able to simply walk free, and it's feared that the second man will follow shortly. Will the Prime Minister do all she can to help bring justice for George Lowe and Ben Barker for what was a horrific, a vicious attack that was completely without any provocation and has been devastating for both of their families? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure all of us across the House uh, would want to send our deepest sympathies to the family of George Lowe and our very best wishes to Ben Barker for a full recovery from the terrible uh, injuries that he suffered as a result of what uh, my honourable friend has said was a violent and completely unprovoked attack. Uh, the uh, most recent case, uh, time in which this case was raised with the uh, government, relevant government was by the Foreign Secretary during his visit on the 30th of November to Cyprus and he clearly set out our desire to see those guilty of this attack brought to justice. The Foreign and Commonwealth Office will continue to offer help and support to both families. We will continue to raise this issue, and I'm sure that the uh, Foreign Office will keep my honourable friend informed of any developments. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Arbroath Smokey, along with many other food and drink products, have benefited greatly from the European Union's PGI scheme. What guarantees can the Prime Minister give us that they will continue to get that protection should we end up leaving the EU? First of, first of all, of course, issues like that are ones that we will be needing to address as we look at the arrangements that will be in place following the EU. I'm sure everybody would uh, recognise the significance of the Arbroath Smoky and, uh, uh, and indeed other products around the United Kingdom. Uh, but I, can I just say to the Honourable Gentleman, uh, at the end there he said, should we leave the EU? I can tell him we will be leaving the EU. Thomas. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On December 19th, on December 19th, 35 years ago, 16 people lost their lives in ferocious storms off the coast of West Cornwall. Eight of these lives were men from Mausel who had launched their Penley lifeboat, the Solomon Brown, to rescue the crew of the Union Star. 35 years later, this tragedy still haunts the village of Mausel and West Penwith, and many people mark this anniversary every year. Will the Prime Minister join with me in remembering these brave men, the loved ones they left behind, and pay credit to all our lifeboat men and women yeah. who are prepared to risk their lives for those in peril well on the said. sea? Yeah. Well, I thank my honourable friend for raising this issue, and I absolutely join him in marking the 35th anniversary of the Penley lifeboat tragedy uh, and in sending our sympathies to all those families who were affected, but also to the local communities who were affected, as he has set out. 
And finally, I'm sure everybody in this House would want to pay tribute to the RNLI. Uh, the tireless work they do is an island. It's important that we have that security and safety around, uh, around our shores. The RNLI work tirelessly to protect people who, as my honourable friend, are in peril on the sea, and we pay tribute to them. Yeah. Stuart. Speaker, the Prime Minister knows that I and colleagues from all parties across this House are keen to guarantee the rights of some three million EU and EEA citizens in this country, the earliest possible date. This will be the largest administrative task the Home Office has ever undertaken. Could I encourage her to look at the report produced by British Futures, which produced some very practical suggestions on how the Home Office can implement this, and possibly even encourage the Home Secretary to update us on any progress made? Well, uh, I say to the Honourable Lady, I'm keen to ensure that we can protect the rights of EU citizens living here, but I'm also keen that UK citizens' rights uh, for those who are living in the EU are protected as well. The Home Secretary, I think, is aware of the proposals that have been put forward and is looking at them very carefully. Lucy Fraser. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. In October, hundreds of people from across Europe attended a neo-Nazi rally in Haddenham, a small village in my rural constituency. What steps is the Prime Minister taking to tackle racial hatred? Well, first of all, can we once again from this House send a very clear message? There is no place for racial hatred in our society. I think this is so important. The Home Office has done a lot of work in relation to uh, racial hatred and hate crime. They've published a hate crime action plan, uh, which shows what we're going to be doing during the lifetime of this government. And of course, earlier this week, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, prescribed the right-wing organisation National Action, uh, which means that being a member of or inviting support for that organisation will be a criminal offence. I think it is important that we take every step we can to stop uh, racial hatred in this country. And I was pleased to announce on Monday that Britain will be the first country in Europe to adopt the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's definition of anti-Semitism. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, I met with the CEO of Provident Financial, one of two FTSE 100 companies in Bradford, yes, outside of London, right in the heart of the North, and Provident being in my constituency. We agreed that for Bradford to fulfil the potential of its young people, we need to have better educational outcomes and better transport. Having been overlooked for so long, can I invite the Prime Minister to come to and meet the leaders of my great city and pave the way for long overdue investment in Bradford? Well, the, the Honourable Lady is right to raise the issue that education plays and the role that education plays in ensuring the futures of young people in Bradford. That's why I'm pleased to say that there's been an increase of nearly 16,000 children in Bradford who are at good or an outstanding schools since 2010. So we are taking action to ensure uh, the uh, quality of education, but I want to make sure that there are good school, enough good school places for children across the whole country, and that's what our education consultation is about. Heidi Allen. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. I came to PMQs today from an incredibly moving and powerful private session with the DWP Select Committee, talking and listening to four victims of modern slavery who are now living in safe houses. I don't think I'll ever forget it in my life. Please would the Prime Minister take her enthusiasm and the passion with which she drove this as Home Secretary and work with the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. These people are vulnerable. 
When they come to the job centre so often their background and their cases are not understood. The same as women and survivors of domestic violence, they need to be fast-tracked through the system. If ever these vulnerable people needed the state to step up and support them, it is these people. Please can we do more? Well, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right. I think that nothing brings home to one more than anything else the absolute horrific nature of the crime of modern slavery than actually sitting down, hearing the testimony of a victim. The people have gone through the most horrendous, dehumanising experiences very often. And it is absolutely right that the government brought forward the Modern Slavery Act. It's right that we've been looking at how victim support is provided at the national referral mechanism, um, a whole number of steps. And of course, we will work with the DWP uh, in looking at the support that is given. And my honourable friend makes an important point. She refers to job centres, but of course, it isn't just at job centres. I think one of the things we need to do is to ensure that those in authority who come into contact with people who have been the victims of modern slavery are able to recognise those signs and are able to treat it in the way and deal with people uh, sensitively and sympathetically in an appropriate way. Caroline Lucas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I don't think the Prime Minister has any idea of the level of suffering and pain that rail passengers and businesses in Brighton and beyond are suffering. And it's not just on strike days. This has been going on for well over 18 months. So given the failure of her passive transport secretary, who apparently has no intention of acting to deal with this utterly incompetent company, will she sack him, strip GTR of the franchise and freeze fares for long-suffering passengers? Well, first of all, my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, has been taking steps in relation to the general performance of Southern Railway. We've stepped in to invest invest £20 million to specifically tackle the issue and bring a rapid improvement to services. We announced the delay repay 15 from the 11th December for the whole of Southern, which will make it easier for passengers to claim compensation. We've announced that we will give passengers who are season ticket holders on Southern a refund for a month's travel. So we have been looking at that wider issue. But the Honourable Lady raises the question of the current strike. There is only one body responsible for the current strike, that is ASLEF. This is a strike from the trade unions, and she should be standing up and condemning that strike because it's passengers who suffer. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The 1.5 billion additional funding for the Better Care Fund is both needed and welcome, but the problem is that this money is not available in 2019. Will my right honourable friend therefore look at seeing whether some of this funding can be drawn down earlier than that in order to alleviate the pressure on social care in areas such as Devon, where there is a very high level of elderly people? Well, my my right honourable friend raises an important point about the short-term pressures that there are on social care. That's why the government has been looking at what measures can be taken to alleviate those short-term pressures. As I say, my right honourable friend, the Community Secretary, will be making a statement uh, on the local government finance settlement tomorrow. Uh, And we do need to look at the medium-term issues of delivery and the longer-term reassurance that we can provide people in ensuring that we have a sustainable system of social care that gives people the comfort of knowing that they will be uh, cared for in their old age. Tim Farron. Uh, Speaker, can I join colleagues uh, who have earlier on urged uh, people in this House and beyond 
to go out and buy the Joe Cox Foundation single by the excellent MP4. Not just available on download, as you can see, but in hard copy for those of us who prefer that kind of thing. Um, Every day, Mr Speaker, since Brexit, uh, the result on the 23rd of June, seems to have been a good day to bury bad news. And the worst news is in our social care and health system. The daily wave of tragedies, of indignities and of near misses, the £2.5 billion shortfall in social care funding and thousands of operations already cancelled. Now, yesterday, Mr Speaker, the Secretary of State for Health said that the NHS and social care needed more money. And yet, and yet, the Chancellor of the Exchequer did not offer a single extra penny for health or social care within the autumn statement. Which of the two does she agree with? Will she take this opportunity to provide health and social care the money it needs this side of Christmas? The Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government will be making a statement tomorrow on local government finance settlement. I suggest that the Honourable, Right Honourable Gentleman waits for that statement. Finally, Mr Philip Davis. Back in, back, back in 2010, the overseas aid budget was around £7 billion a year. By 2020, it will have more than doubled to over £15 billion a year. The shortfall in social care funding by 2020 is estimated at about £2.5 billion a year. Surely the government priority should be to look after the elderly, vulnerable and disabled people in our own country before we hand money over to other countries. So will the Prime Minister take some of that money, a small amount of that increase, from the overseas aid budget and spend it on elderly, vulnerable and disabled people in our own country? Surely charity begins at home. I think it is absolutely right that the government is taking steps in relation to the pressures on social care here in the United Kingdom. But I would say to my honourable friend, I think it is also important for us that we do take uh, consideration of those who are in different circumstances across the world. I think that the record that this government has of ensuring that 0.7% of our GDP is spent on overseas aid is a record second to none. I think we should all be proud of the help and support that we are giving to people around the world who are living often in incredibly difficult circumstances. So we look after old people here in the UK. We also take that moral responsibility for people around the world seriously as well. Order.